You are not broken. You are not a victim. You are not a survivor. You've chosen the hard path, a path full of extreme experiences, both good and bad, which leave memories. These memories, in turn, leave a residue within you, which, if processed, can serve as the fuel that moves us to wisdom and joy. If unprocessed, however, it will begin to build up, to harden, until you can no longer move or breathe, until all you know is pain and sorrow. There's no doubt that the game has changed, and we are changing with it. Welcome to Season 2, because in this season, it is all about how we become and stay operational. How we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman. Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. This podcast is brought to you as a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. Our mission is to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare you for the challenges you're going to face on and off the job. It's funded through donations, sponsorships, and our work with departments across the U.S. Get involved with us by visiting opmindset.org. That's opmindset.org. There you can find out how to bring a new level of training to your department and how to help us expand the conversation. Now, let's fire up today's episode. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Bandman. Today, very special guest, uh, somebody who I've had the privilege of knowing now for oh, quite quite a while. And uh, and I'm just, every time that I get the opportunity to sit with Preston, it seems to be an incredible conversation. So for those of you who don't know, today, I've got Preston Klein with me, uh, the former Director of Leadership Ventures at Wharton and now the co-founder and director of research and education at Mission Critical Team Institute. Uh, Preston, in my opinion, is uh, one, kind of one of the coolest academics out there. Uh, two, one of the smartest guys I know, uh, like I said, and really, uh, really is a front runner in dealing with vision critical teams and understanding human behavior and human dynamics uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, he has recently published an article uh, that I really want to share with you, and that's going to be the focus of the conversation today. So, Preston, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for taking the time, sir. I really thank you, sir. It. Excited to be here and excited to talk to you. I know I was trying to remember when we met, but it was it was a number of years ago. <sighs> Man, I, I, I maybe we met through like Carrie Jackson over at NSW, that's and then. Right. And then you invited me, you recommended that I uh, start working uh, with Cleveland yep. on the uh, General Cleveland over at the, uh, the, General the Young Lions. Yeah, the Young yeah. Lions. And then you and I, and then, you know, we, we bounce around and we hang out with Chris Johnson at, at Think Tank 4.0. And I, I still tell, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, coolest day was like, I get to hang out on a, on a picnic bench with, with Preston Klein and Chris Johnson you know, outside the pirates training camps, you know, years ago is like, I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn something right now. Yeah, it was a good day, man. I, I love it. I, I really appreciate you. And like I said to you beforehand, I think, and I want the audience to know, you know, when I see a paper come out from you or I see something come out for you, like there's no question of credibility around it. Uh, I know how, how much you research, you know, who you've gotten to work with. I mean, you, you know, when you were doing the mission critical team stuff, I mean, you worked with everybody, right? I mean, you, you yep. were able to work with all the tier one level aspects, FDNY, uh, all F, you know, uh, NYPD, like all the top tier level communities out there. And I know from the ground perspective that you've gained just a stupid level of respect from all these people. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm it's a privilege. To get to spend yeah, some time that it's kind of you to say i'm still uh i, I would say <laughs> honestly i'm still figuring it out uh every time every time i visit any team um you know there's still it's still like well, what's going on now what's this about and so um i'm 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 lucky that i've chosen a field where every day is an investigation right man and i think that's the difference i think i think where you have you know we talk about this a lot on the show like what yeah. is the trait that that truly kind of 
opens up the opportunity to somebody to be exceptional at what they do. And, and consistently it comes back to like this model of curiosity. Yeah. You know, it's, it is an investigation. It is a level of curiosity. It's like, I don't know, but let's find out. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, you know, if you think about selection and assessment, which I've spent some time in and you, you think about, um, sort of the difference between traits, competencies, and attributes. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is traits are, are things like extroversion, which you can measure, and competencies are things like, you know, your um, number of pull-ups you can do. But attributes are more difficult because you can't really measure them, and yet they're key to belonging to and connecting with any group. And one of those attributes that you can't really measure is this idea of weaponizing your curiosity. Mm -hmm. And where this usually comes out is people say, you know, you'll ask them, well, what do you need on your team? And at the end of the day, we need a bunch of things. But one of the things we need is for, you know, if I'm going to send Jeff to some far off place, what I need Jeff to do is figure it out. Yeah. Right. And and that skill set of figure it out is is not something that happens by accident. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we call it weaponizing your curiosity, this idea of mm -hmm. turning that figure it out thing into a skill set. And um, it is something you need to develop. And, you know, the great people have it and the, and, and the rest don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. It's like that's is uh, and I had sent you years ago, you know, when I was working on like, how do I how do I begin to put a framework around what an operational mindset looks like? Right. And it's like, okay, these are, these are kind of, some of these are unmeasurable. Some of they are, you know, comfort, confidence, creativity, curiosity, openness, humility, like all these things exist. Cause when I've done my interviews with people that I look at and say, okay, you're really at the top of your game, they exist and they exist in how they share experience, how they share their knowledge, how they share, uh, themselves, you know, how they operate in certain contexts. And, yeah. you know, and then it's like, okay, you have it, right? It's that unspoken it factor. What is it? It's like all those things yeah. exist. And, you know, and you've just kind of got to, you've got to at least be able to be observant of those, right? Uh, yeah. Because I can't sit you down, make you take a test and be like, okay, well, you're definitely, you know, rank high on this this scale. And then those that you can, you know, you do. So. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. Well, listen today. So the other day you published this article uh, titled yep. titled residue processing extreme yeah. experiences. And of course, I jumped on Reddit immediately. And uh, I was I was left quiet afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it uh, truly speaks to uh, an issue that I've been dealing with as of late. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, in the conversation that goes on. And so today I'd really like to kind of dig into it uh, in a lot of ways, you know, you in the, in the paper, you know, the focus there is kind of this rejection of the idea that, that operators or, you know, medical professionals, fire service, law enforcement, military, you know, that we must, that we have to like sacrifice ourselves or our souls, right. In exchange for living a mm -hmm. life of service, like somehow this is a, this is a transactional choice of life. Right. So yeah. I've chosen to serve. Therefore, service means sacrifice and service may mean ultimate sacrifice. Um, and, you know, you really talk about how these experiences, uh, good and bad, you know, leave us with memories and with with scars at times. But how we deal with them really makes is a catalyst for our future, whether that's ending up really moving us into a place of, you know, use the word wisdom and joy, which I love, um, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, we end up in pain and sorrow. And so I'd really like to give you the opportunity to kind of give us behind the paper. We're going to publish the paper up on Mindset Radio. I'm going to include it in the show notes and access to it. Uh, and this is like a must read. This is a 100% this is a must read. And so talk to me about why how this came about. Talk to me about this paper. Sure. I think just to, before I tell you the actual events that led to it, I think probably some context matters. Sure. Go for it. So one of the things that is um, really current right now, one of the things that we are involved with the Mission Critical Institute is trying to support frontline medical workers with COVID. Um, mm. And one of the things that people need to understand is there are some things behind the curtains that aren't often seen that are now becoming really apparent. So a couple of things about this is that the medical world prior to COVID 
was broken in many ways. Um, the debates at Obamacare and the debates prior to that, um, the way that we do healthcare in this in this in this country, and the way that hospitals are built, they're not they're they're not really built in a way to sustain large shocks. And pan, and this pandemic has been a large shock. And one of the very practical ways that I mean that is that if you're a firefighter or in special operations or in the FBI. If there is a problem, you as the person, you as the operator, go towards the problem. The energy goes from where you are to where you need to go, right? You meet the target, the fire, the bad guy, et cetera. In medicine, that direction of energy is reversed. You are always going to a hospital, and the problem is always coming to you. Now, mm -hmm. the difference is, is that if you're a, a wildland firefighter and you're going out west to fight a fire, and fire season is coming up, by the way, and that's brings the mm -hmm. really interesting challenges in this current world. Um, you always go to the fire. You don't get to control what's going on. You know that in your in your mindset, you know, hey, look, I'm just going to deal with whatever shows up. But if you're in a hospital, you own your environment. You could put you could spray paint foots, feet prints on the floor that people right. stand there, right? Like you and you own the lights, the temperature, everything else. And one of the things you know is that when you walk into the hospital, you do your thing and you'll get to walk home that night. And technically speaking, if everything goes right, there should be no threat to you. And now for the first time in living history, every time a medical worker goes to work today, the threat is both they are going towards the threat. And as they leave their house and go to the hospital, they're not waiting for the problem to come to them. They're going towards it. Mm -hmm. And when they go towards it, they are risking not just themselves, but their families who they come home every night. And there is no mechanism or training in the med schools to um, incorporate this phenomenon to process this lived experience. Mm -hmm. So that is one example of where our inability to understand how the world around us is changing very fast mm -hmm. in many ways, in the same way that it changed in the beginnings of the war. So if you recall from your experience, you know, when when the war kicked off in the early 2000s, all the assumptions were were 1990 assumptions, 1980, <laughs> right? Yeah. And many of those didn't work out once you got overseas. Mm -hmm. I mean, is, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, plan never survives first contact with the enemy. Absolutely, one hundred percent. It was a eye-opening experience, and and one would argue that it's not just the tactics, right? But yeah. some of the cultural aspects of that process. One hundred percent. And yeah. and so one of the things that we talk about, um, certainly with the military, but this is also churned out with fire and with law enforcement, and certainly with medicine, is that. You know, historically, we worked in a world where doctors would go do their thing and play golf and nurses would do their thing. And then um, operators would go to war for a couple of years or a couple of deployments and be over. Mm -hmm. We've been at war for 20 years, mm -hmm. right? The wildland fire season now doesn't end. Yeah. Right. None of these systems were designed to do to do be done indefinitely. And the consequence of if, if you look at the suicide rates, they're bad. Yes. And, and I say this not as, you know, as you and I are talking, this isn't some statistical number. You and I aren't on a TV show right. or a news show talking about statistics. These are our friends. Mm -hmm. Like we're getting notices of our friends taking their lives. Yeah. You know, in 2019, I went through a five-month period where there were five different suicides, yeah. one a month yep. for five months. And you realize like we are breaking people in a way that we've rarely seen before. And, you know, there's, there are, you know, this, this is about being optimistic, but we have to start with the context, right? We have to start with, it's not working. And anybody who says it is working is delusional. Yes. Right. There are all the systems that we're currently looking at fire, police, military, medicine, they're breaking in front of us. And here's what I'll do. Here's, I'll give this exact example I give to everybody. If you're listening to this at home, I'm going to ask you two questions. One's a dumb question. One's a harder question. They're both related. And the first question is this. What is a nurse? Like, could you identify one on TV? If a nurse came onto a TV show, would you be able to say, oh, yeah, she's a nurse, right? Or he's a nurse. You'd know it, right? Because of their outfit and the context and everything else, right? So pretty straightforward question. Everyone knows what a nurse is. Now take a piece of pen, a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil and write down the definition of a nurse. Now you've, you've already made it pretty clear. It's a pretty simple point, you know, we all know what a nurse is. But the truth is, no one can define it anymore. Mm. Not even the people that are giving degrees anymore. Mm. Because between trauma nurses and nurse practitioners, 
um, ward nurses, surgical nurses, scrub nurses, the, that label has become so broad as to become meaningless. What we know, it's a caregiver, but it's many more things than that. And right now we have a system based on doctors and nurses and no one can adequately tell us what a doctor and a nurse is anymore. Hmm. And that's a metaphor for every mission critical team. Yeah. And so that leads us to um, residue. Yeah. And so as we're seeing this seismic shift in the social systems that we have built to deal with the edge of things, right? So the social contract, you and I, we get to have you know, electricity and we get to have, make sure we're not mugged in the streets and that if we fall down, somebody will look after us. All these structures, right, are built so that you and I can have a reliable life, right? Mm -hmm. If Wall Street can only function if the people at Wall Street don't assume they're gonna get bombed, right? Or shot or um, filled with some disease. So it requires a bunch of working structures. Um, and so it's worth a moment to talk about the fact that these structures are are in, in difficulty. Now, you should also know that my background, I was a wilderness guide, yep. and then I worked with kids in trouble. Yep. I worked with kids at the Royal McDonald House camp, kids at Special Olympics. Um, I also was in risk management for many years. I did emergency services doing um, both terrestrial and um, marine search and rescue. And so what did that mean? It means that um, I have been what they call the primary, secondary, and tertiary response to critical and catastrophic incidents. A, an easier way to say that is that if somebody is dying, often a child, I'm either the person trying to physically keep the child alive, I am the person getting the phone call that a child is dying, or I am the person telling the parents that a child has died. And that's happened in my career. And so I early on in my career became really obsessed by this question, which is why do some people make it and some people don't, which has been most of my research. Yeah. And so, but it's also worth noting that while I'm doing this research, which is the Institute and why my, my partner Coleman Ruiz and I and other sort of, sort of elite academics and, and um, practitioners sort of support our teams and getting better at what they do. I also am a human with a lived experience, much like you are, right? Yes. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human that's, you know, buried our friends and was not smart enough or fast enough or talented enough, or I wasn't God to save someone's life when I could have, or hoped I could have. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're left with these things and you're, you're always left with them, you know? And so this, you know, I'm now 50 years old and I've, develop some mechanisms in my life. Luckily, I've been part of a community of wilderness guides that are touchy feely, right? So <laughs> there's a whole bunch of people in my life that are, make sure that my mental health is looked after. And so I've been I've had that luxury. But most teams don't actually. So this is the backdrop for in 2018, um, a friend of mine and one of uh, a, a team that's uh, an elite uh, military team, which and we won't use any names. Sure. Um, invites me down to a wounded warriors event, a private wounded warriors event among folks that um, much like your former world, you don't get to actually talk about and you don't get to tell people about. And so those folks, when they get injured, either physically or mentally, often have to figure out a way to get their needs met without letting people know what they, they do for a living or did for a living. Mm -hmm. And so there was this private wounded warriors event and I was asked to come down and support it. And whenever I can, I try to do that stuff, right? And not that I'm going to add a lot of value, but just to, as, a, as a matter of principle, right? It's good to support. Yeah. Um, and I encourage everybody to do that. Um, and while I'm there, um, strangely enough, um, a couple of my friends, um, while, once I get there, uh, in typical fashion for these folks, they let me know. Oh, and by the way, uh, the actor Tom Hardy is coming. He's going to be um, using um, the movie premiere of Spawn as a way to, to raise some money for um, wounded warriors. And Tom, as I've gotten to know, has been a long-term supporter, much like, you know, Dennis Leary right. and others, right. Um, uh, are long-term supporters of uh, looking after, um, operators and soldiers and sailors and et cetera. And so what I didn't know was that Tom Hardy, um, had met one of these operators while filming Black Hawk Down. And one of the operators had helped him, um, sort of, uh, work on his, acting around being in the military. Um, and so Tom um, said, is there anything I could read? And a few years ago, this operator started passing along um, my research that I was doing for the teams. Um, it wasn't classified, it was just private. And nothing wrong with Tom reading, it's just not a research that we we published at the time. We're starting to make some of it public because we wanna support 
um, medical workers in COVID-19. And so some of our research now is going public for that reason, but much of it just stays private because it's meant to be private. Yes. And so, um, so, so Tom starts reading my research up to the point where he actually reads my dissertation. Oh, which really? He's, which is... Yeah, he's one of four people in the world to actually read my. Hey, and I'm one of those four because I've read it. So there's fifth, there's fifth, five people because yeah, I read it. Already, I loved it. Yeah, my wife and I think my faculty advisor. Um, and so um, I didn't know any of this, and so I I go up and Tom is there, and um, he. he I see him out of the corner of my eye heading towards us and I realize I'm in the VIP section. And even though I'm, I'm, I'm a technically a VIP, I'm really sort of a junior VIP to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like Stop I'm not like an official VIP, not like Tom Hardy or the general or the admiral are. So I'm like, Oh, I got to skedaddle out of here. So I pick up my wine and start to go, but they see me and wave me back. So I'm sort of trapped. I'm like, Oh, okay. And Tom comes over and he's got his entourage and he's got everybody else and he's a big deal. And my idea is I want to shake his hand and get out of their way so they can do what they need to do. But Tom's actually coming over to talk to me about my research. I just don't know this. Yeah. He comes over and he says hello and I say hello and he starts asking me these really in-depth questions about things like liminality, right? And liminality is an anthropological word that that denotes that time betwixt and between. And it's uh, the, the sort of standard sort of description of that is if you remember in your tweens where you were no longer a kid, but you're not yet an adult and you're just a mess, right? Mm -hmm. That's liminality. Mm -hmm. Or if you're on the, on the beach, you're on the beach. If you're in the ocean, you're in the ocean. But if you're in the surf zone, you're neither on land or in the ocean. You're in betwixt and between. You're in liminality. You're in a liminal zone. And much of our life right now, COVID, where we are right now is liminality. Mm -hmm. We are betwixt what we once were and we're not yet what we will become and what we will become will be different. It will be a new normal. So we're all experiencing liminality together. And it's deeply, deeply um, troubling for many of us because the, the as, as many of my friends in neuroscience will tell me, your brain doesn't cope with uncertainty very well. Right. It doesn't like it. Yep. It likes to be certain, even if it's, even if you're lying to yourself. Yes. Um, and so um, this time of liminality is, is, you know, it's frustrating and it's anxiety producing for many people. So he's asking me these questions and I'm like, uh, why is Tom Hardy asking me questions about liminality? Like, this seems pretty intense. And I think it must be a practical joke. You guys are all famous for practical jokes. And they're like, oh, we're messing with the academic. Right. That's fine. Right. Right. I'll play along. Except for Tom to be asking these questions, like he had to fully commit to this practical joke. And I'm like, respect. But this seems really odd. So about 20 minutes in, I'm like, I have to stop and say, I am genuinely very confused right now. I don't understand what's happening. Could you please explain? And they explain it all to me. And I'm like, oh. And then he, we're finally getting to the subject. He says, but Preston, I don't know why you didn't reference residue. And I had never heard this term before. Mm. And it's a term that is specific to acting, right? Okay. Um, and so um, – I say, what do you mean? And he, as you read in the paper, what he says is, well, Preston, imagine that I am playing an actor like Bane and Batman, which he did play. And then he's going to go play um, one of the characters in Peaky Blinders, which he's now playing. And he's just a brilliant guy. By the way, he's just a terribly nice guy. I just should comment on that. Yeah, that's you know, you, know. You, meet, yeah. you meet these folks and you're always in the back of my, your mind. I think all of us are like this. When you meet someone you admire, you're like, oh, don't screw it up, dude. Don't screw it up. Like, be the nice guy. And because you don't want him to come across and you'd be like so disappointed, which, of course, has happened. But with Tom, I'm very pleased to announce that he's just an incredibly nice, generous, lovely guy. And he's been incredibly supportive of this. He texts me all the time to, like, check in on how I'm doing. And he's just brilliant. Nice. So just a note on that. So everyone should be a fan of Tom Hardy. So, um so he proceeds to say that, like, I'm playing um, Bane and Batman, and I got to go play the Peaky Blinders guy. Or let's use another example. Um, he has to play, he has to go from playing Bane and Batman to play, say, a president of the United States or a prime minister. You can't play the prime minister with still having Bane in you. Mm. So he is a method actor. He's somebody who takes a deep dive on his acting. He becomes the character. So he has, so that, that character leaves residue within him. And, um, he has to find a way to process that residue. Now, he's telling me this at a Wounded Warriors event, wow. right? He's telling me this, as I mentioned to you before, as a person who has lost their friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm listening to him talk, and I'm having this visceral, emotional reaction. And I look over at my friends who are operators, and I'm looking at their faces, and I'm realizing we're all having a visceral, emotional reaction to this. Yeah. And so 
I realized at that moment, there's something here. There's like, this is a thing, right? This idea that we all have these life experiences and these experiences leave this residue. And then I'm looking around the room and that people are sort of carrying this residue. And so I leave there and um, I walk out of the room and I proceed to start talking to Coleman about it. And I talk to some other people about it. And I happen to be, I'm, a, I'm one of the visiting faculty out at the Air Force Weapons School. And a friend of mine named Jelani Hale, who's a former Naval Special Warfare Officer and, and now um, works in the Wind Corporation, is out there. And whenever I go out, I visit him. And um, we just, you know, we catch up and he asks me what research I'm doing and I get his input because he's, he's lived an extraordinary life and he has a lot to offer people. And so I'm telling him this stuff and I'm still, I'm both, you know, a couple of weeks have passed and I'm still like, you know, still waking up in the middle of the night thinking about it. And I don't know how to, you know, give it substance. I don't know how to make meaning of it. Mm. And I'm just stuck with this idea that I both know it's true and I don't know what to do with it. Mm. So I'm telling Jelani and Jelani has a, a, like a, a visceral emotional reaction. He's like, this is a real thing. He's like, I just happened to know the actor, Scott Glenn. Um, let me reach out to him. And Scott Glenn writes me this two page paper on both how residue is true. Actors do use it and how important it is and some of his methods. And that's when I realized this is a real thing. And so we, I, just to get it out of my head, I write what's called a green paper. A green paper is a paper that says, I have witnessed a phenomenon, something that happens in the life and the world. I have other people that agree with that, that I'm not just having a delusion that it's out there. What do you all think? Right. And then I send it to our, our member teams from around the world. And I get, you know, dozens and dozens of responses from people like, this is real. You got to look into this. And then my friend, um, Sean Hulls, who used to be the head athletic folk person with Naval Special Warfare, was it the Cleveland, was it the Philadelphia Eagles and now the Cleveland Browns? Um, he's like a leader in human performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's teaching in one of our courses. He's one of our faculty. And afterwards, we're walking back to his car and I'm, and I'm telling him this and he goes, you know, Preston, one of the big frustrations that I've had in my career working with operators and, and athletes is that it, a lot of well-meaning people who want to help uh, operators who are broken are too willing to label them as victims or survivors or broken. And it's utterly demoralizing. Yes. And he said, no one's trying to be evil about this. They're trying yeah. to be good hearted, but it's, it's really wrong. He says, we've got to figure out a way to move away from this idea that residue is bad. And I reached back out to Tom and Tom was like, oh, I'm sorry, I should have explained that. Residue is not bad. Residue is not good. Residue is just residue. Like, like, like your first kiss is neither good nor bad. Your first heartbreak is neither good nor bad. It's an experience. Mm. It is what life will send you. And if you are lucky, you will have a lot of rich experiences. But if you choose to enter the world of mission critical teams, if you make that choice, you should expect to have extreme experiences. And much like when you enter that world, you expect to have extreme physical events, you prepare for those physical events, then you should logically be preparing for the extreme emotional and experiential events, mm -hmm. except we don't know how. And so this started an 18 month process of us interviewing. Um, we also got um, uh, feedback from um, Dennis Leary, who was incredibly kind. Um, Sebastian Younger, who was extraordinary, the author, um, yep. as well as hundreds of operators around the world in emergency medicine, in fire, in tactical law enforcement, special operations, NASA, um, to name just a few. And all of it was this idea of moving from, oh, starting with this assumption, let's assume you're not broken, you're not a survivor, you're not a victim, you are an extraordinary person who shows an extraordinary life. What are some things for you gray beards that helped you survive? What are the, like, the no kidding things that you need to be successful and sustainable in your life and your ability to navigate uncertainty? And so we found that it was it was not rocket scientists science. Right. Yeah. And I can give you a couple of examples of what we what we found that worked. But before I do, I'll just pause and see if that was a, a satisfying enough um, sort of explanation of how we got here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so privileged <laughs> to get to, I mean, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it is brilliant explanation. I mean, cause I can, and I can see you playing this out knowing you, right. I mean, I, uh, it's for me, I'm like, 
I'm with you right now. Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm this, I'm this observer watching you do all this stuff because I know you, right? And brilliant, yep. brilliant. Yes, please keep going. I'm just going to be quiet and listen. Like I love. No you. worries. And so the what starts this process out was this this reformatting because a lot of a lot of the guys that we were talking to at first didn't want to be involved. They're like, Preston, listen, mm-hmm. I'm over it. I'm over the PTSD and the yes. like, and, and I shouldn't say it that way. I, I don't mean to in any way diminish the reality that people have been traumatized and that they need support. I don't in any way want to minimize that there are moral injuries out, out, out there. People have been asked to do right. things contrary to their morality. These are all legitimate and in no way, in no way am I diminishing any of that. But I am saying that all of that is predicated that a fracture has occurred and we have to heal the fracture. Yes. And all I'm pointing out is prior to getting there, why don't we start developing some protective factors, some strengths that people can have so that not everything's a fracture, right? But what we also say to our people is this, is that I'm saying this as a former EMT, I can splint my own sprained wrist. I can't splint my own broken arm. I mean, I could, but it's a bad idea. Right. You know what I mean? I actually yep, need, I need to go to somebody who knows how to do that. That's not weakness, right? That's not that's not me failing. That's a recognition that I have a broken arm and somebody should probably better, more qualified than I am, look at it. Deal with it, yes. Right? That is no different than I had a bad day, right? And I was standing next to my friend when they died. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And so it's the difference between a sprained wrist and a broken arm. And that isn't to say that my broken arm won't heal. It'll heal stronger as long as I do something about it. Yes. If I ignore it, it probably ends poorly. And so we, what we wanted to do is, is instead of using what I just used, which is the pathological approach, which is to say there's a pathology, there was an injury, and there was results from that injury, we wanted to get way in front of that. We wanted to say, what are the protective factors that might prevent the injury from happening in the first place? So we found some really interesting things. One of the things we found is that, for example, one of your your greatest, as many of us know, I certainly do, that one of my uh primary strengths in my life is my spouse amy right my family mm-hmm. and so i know that if i'm going to survive the life that i lived i need to maintain that relationship with amy but here's the trick there's going to be some bad days for me where i you know i come back from you know in my early life i come back from um a fatality of a child or in my current life we're dealing with um the suicide of a friend right in a dramatic yeah. and depressing way I can't walk into dinner like any more than a fireman who rescued a burning child or, you know, a, 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 you know, you can list the number of tragedies, traumatic events. I can't come to dinner and go, how was your day? Oh, well, this happened to me today. That would be unfair to Amy. Yes. Right. The problem is, is that every time I do that, I'm creating distance between she and I. And that distance over time causes causes fractures in the relationship. Mm. And so the trick is, is how do you maintain your vulnerability and your ability to let your spouse, your partner and your family know, like, I'm hurt, like today hurt me, but I don't want to re-traumatize you by telling you this story. And so having ways that you can tell the story to people that can hear it, right? But also ways to just be able to share the fact that you are sad or you are um, upset or you are frustrated in a way that is allowed for people can can sympathize um, without being without you feeling like you're burdening them with um, a memory they don't need to have. All right, we're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Brute Force Training. When you're ready to be in the physical condition necessary to meet the rigors, demands, and expectations of your profession, then check out the team over at BruteForceTraining.com and pick up their gear. I promise you, it will put you in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OP Mindset, and the team will take a little bit off the top for you. Now, always remember, train accordingly. Now, let's get back to the show. You know, this is interesting. I'm going to, if you're all right, I want to jump in because I've been reading now and I've been looking at uh, the models of energetic consent. 
Yeah. Right. And I think this kind of speaks to it because it's not just in words that we're communicating. Yep. And, you know, that's we carry that. Right. I mean, when when I come back from if I've come back from a hard day or hard deployment or a rough cycle or whatever else, you know, especially when a spouse in a partnered relationship uh, or a close relationship with anybody, you know, we feel each other. Yeah. And and, you know, do I get my ick on you or not? Do am I putting this on you? And I think one of the things that I've, it's interesting now that I'm kind of like trying to unpack so we can plug it into the programming is how do I functionally, you know, have an energetic consent exchange? It's like, this has been rough for me today and I need you to respect my boundaries. I don't, maybe I'm not ready to share whatever it might be. It's just interesting because that's, as you were talking about that, it's like, you know, universally, it's like, okay, I was just reading you know, yesterday on the drive here to San Diego about this and just trying to take a look at it. So sorry to interrupt, but no, I mean, that super helpful. I, uh, while I'm yeah. listening to you, by the way, I'm, I am, as we enter this new world of talking through video or podcasts or um, things like this, all yeah. my active listening has to change. And I realize mm-hmm. that I, um, I say, yup, to encourage people. And on the radio, it sounds like I'm being annoying. So I apologize to the listeners, but uh, I can't help myself from, so acknowledging um, without seeing you that the truth of what yes. you're saying, right? And so um, it, it is absolutely true. And we all have to negotiate this with our partners in a meaningful way. And what we what we say to people is we can't fix what we can't talk about. In order to talk about it, we need a shared language. Mm. And that comes through collaboration, right? And so one of the things that we know is while we know that that many in special operations and these folks tend to be introverts they still need connection as our friend the reverend sue phillips will say we all need connection and belonging right and so mm-hmm. you don't you don't get a pass on that you don't get a pass on being human because you got a cool patch on your shoulder <laughs> right yeah. and so unfortunately you know that's the deal um and so you, you know relationships require work and they require investment, but here's the deal. The investment pays off in, in spades the older you get, mm-hmm. because as they're the only people that know the whole story about you, yeah, and that will matter the older you get. And the goal being to get you older, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, the second thing we found was strangely enough, and this, w- this was first sort of, um, we first started thinking about this because of our friend, Harry Moffat. So Harry Moffat, uh, from Australia, legendary special operations character, yes. a partner with us. He, he runs our mission critical team institute down in Australia, New Zealand. Um, extraordinary human, but he is also um, the uh, one of the principals of, uh, I believe it's the Expendables. No, it. Oh God, wait a minute. It's his rock bands. He's going to hate me if I get this wrong. I'll, I'll look it up. But anyway, he's been involved in um, this 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 rock band since when even when when he was a young operator right and so why this matters is because he has an entire what we call a third thing and he was the first person um to introduce us to this idea of the third thing which is those people who belong to a rock band or um like a, a rugby club or anything where they, um, the externals, I just looked it up, his rock band, I had to look it up because he'll, he'll get mad at me, but it's uh, Harry Moffat is part of the externals and you can, you can get their music and it's extraordinary. Mm. And he's been part of that band for a long time. But what he describes is, you know, he might come literally out of Afghanistan, show up at home, see his family. And then there's two things he does. He goes out for a surf, right? And we talk about surfing and exercise. And then he goes to meet his friends on the externals to play in the band. But what's what he talks about with this, and he also talks about cricket, but he talks about the band is, is that they don't care that I'm an operator. They don't care that I've been to Afghanistan. They care whether or not I've been practicing, you know, the music. And, and that's incredibly refreshing because they know a Harry separate from that other identity. And what we often find is that when people have lived long careers in special operations, when they leave that career, if they have no other identity, the fall is precipitous. Mm. Um, it is, it is, mm-hmm. it is the, you know, the, the thud at the end when after they finish falling is loud. Yes. And so we really want to encourage all young operators, fire, police, everyone 
get yourself a hobby. I know that sounds stupid, but it does two things. One, if you are learning some new skill set every day, it's just good for you. It's good for your brain. It's good for the things around you. It makes you less boring. Um, it, it's just really good for your brain. And so learning a new skill set, but also the act of learning a new skill set and being around people that are woodworkers or being around people that are ballroom dancers. And these are examples that no kidding, straight up assassins do, right? Yeah. I'm not kidding about like, there are straight up assassins out there. I know that are deep into yoga or deep into ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. It isn't it, one because they don't care what you think about them. What they care about is they get to spend time with their friends doing something that's fun and they're learning a skill. And the act of that, there's some sort of magical sort of um, alchemy in that, that, that gives them a strength. So when they're suddenly pulled away from what they used to identify themselves at, the fall is, is it's more of a transition than a fall. Yes. So, so those are sort of examples. There's two examples, family and the third thing. There are others, many others you can read in the paper, but that we're starting to discover as sort of key um, strengths, key assets um, that operators in any of these teams really need in order to be able to process their extreme lived experiences, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's, and you know, you, you say in the paper here, it's like people cannot speak authentically to events they have not lived. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think there's a, it's, I, I just, uh, I had an opportunity to work with uh, a therapist for a little while, a couple of years, kind of in the personal side of things. But what I found was at each point, you know, she kept kind of going back to my trauma, you know, yeah. how I was trained and how it created me and all these things. And I finally had to terminate it. And I said, listen, you know, you, you can't speak to that. I actually, yeah. you know, it'd be almost, I'll almost forward you the email. Like this is, yeah. this is a problem for me because what you're doing is discrediting my life right. in something you can't, you have no associated knowledge of it's yeah. you are, it is 100% based in assumption and your beliefs and your world. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have no authenticity there with me. And I think that's a, I think that's a problem in and of itself in processing. This is why I loved this paper. This is why it kind of left me quiet because it's like, oh, wait a minute. I know Preston. I know Preston can speak authentically about these things. And I know that he's engaged the people who can speak authentically about this. This is not some idea shot out. This is credible. Um, it's why I immediately, I mean, instantaneously reached out to you uh, because I think that is a framework we in the community struggle with. Yeah. You know, I mean, my, my life at the agency, it's like, you know, it was the worst decade of my life because yeah. who, who was I going to talk to? Right. Who, who was I going to communicate with? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody really. Yeah. yeah. But there, there's two points to that. And I, and I want to just, um, I won't speak to other people's lives, but I will speak to my own. So sure. when I was a wilderness guide, we did 60 day wilderness trips with kids out of prison. We were out for mm -hmm. you know 60 days at a time. You know, we'd come in for a couple of days and be back out again. And after about two years in, um, we were basically, you know, we were doing 300 days a year in the back country. So you're living, that's where you yeah. live. You're not, you're not visiting the back country. You're living in the back country. And so uh, we had this really well-meaning board member who had spent a summer as a wilderness guide about 200 years ago, came out. He was a business executive, happened to be a guy, and he bought all new kit. So new sleeping bag, new backpack, everything comes out. And he he wants to hike with us a couple of days and mentor us, right? And so he comes out with his new kit and he sits down next to us. And we're at the time sitting in Crazy Creeks. I don't know if you know Crazy Creeks, but at the time... But they're, they're these portable, foldable, blow-up camp chairs um, that you can sit in. And he's like, you know, back, and, and he made this comment. He said, man, back in our day, we didn't have anything soft like Crazy Creek chairs. And I remember, you know, looking at him and, and I look, remember th looking at my buddy, um, my uh, female co-instructor. And I remember thinking to myself, first of all, there's no we. We live here. You're visiting. Second yeah. of all, you were out for a weekend. We're out for months at a time. And so there, your credibility, your ability to like influence how we see the world is zero. Mm. Um, but later what happened was we had somebody from the National Outdoor Leadership School, you know, one of the best wilderness guide programs in the world, come and join us. And that person didn't bring a crazy creek. And they sat down and they said, yeah, we've actually stopped using them because um, they're not great for your lower back. This is, you know, there's a lot of different 
fingers on this. But in that moment, even though he didn't live with us, he didn't come from where we were, we were like, oh, okay. Right. And and what we found in the mission critical team community is whether you're a you're a firefighter or whether you're a tactical law enforcement or whether you're a surgeon, when you're all sitting together, it doesn't matter that you shoot a weapon or you know use a scalpel or use a hose. You get what it is to be cold, wet, tired, and hungry. You get what it is to not be there for your kids' birthday parties. You get what it is to go towards the bang, right? And as a result, when you say to them, someone like that, I've had a bad day or I've had a good day, they can nod and you know in that nod, they get it. And so what I would say to yourself and to everybody is, while you are absolutely correct that no one's gonna understand the exact nature of those 10 years, there are a lot of people that are 90% there. There are a lot of people out there in fire and tactical law enforcement, military special operations and intelligence that if you described, you know, the general overview of the bad day, 90% of them would nod in a knowing way, like, yep, I wasn't there, but I was at a place, I was in a similar hole once upon a time. Yeah. And in that creates possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just want people to recognize that while their experiences often feel isolating and often well-meaning academics will try to support them they should stop thinking that they're going to get rescued by somebody and start thinking about doing the rescuing, right? Yes. Stop waiting for somebody to come along with the right book or the right phrase or whatever else and realize that they themselves are their best advocate, their best asset, and that they can be that for someone else. And it doesn't have to be same, same. It could be, uh, you know, Jeff, you and your experience could go speak to trauma surgeons right now, and you would actually have a great deal to talk about. Yeah. Um, and all of it would be meaningful and helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's I've, I've been invited now on a couple of different podcasts that are like completely, you know, I've got to be on Wellness Mama coming up, yeah. you know, yeah. through some local friends. They were like, you know, you really got to talk to Jeff because this is the guy who understands, you know, social dynamics and crisis. It's like, yeah. I, I designed this, you know, 25 years ago at a congressional level. I designed this whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, that's it. And then it's like, how do we contribute? And then I like that. It's, and that's, I think part of, you know, what I saw in the community is the conversation hadn't been elevated to the point where it really needed to be. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of garbage being spoken into the community about what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing or how you should, you know, transition or move or this or that. Yeah. And it, and frankly, it was really gross to me. I mean, we're, I run a pretty authentic show. We talk talk heavily about things on here and yep. we, we're, we call it like we see it. Um, and, you know, the essence behind that was how do we contribute to the community? How do we how do we change the conversation or grow or nurture the conversation in the right way? And how do we talk about the things that uh, that need to be spoken about, but from a context of knowledge and experience, yep. right? From right. from a place of knowing what yeah. it's like to, you know, to have to come home from the fire or have to come home from, you know, picking up the kid on the side of the road and, and, you know, from, you know, losing guys overseas and, and all of that. And yep. so, and I think this was, is such a part of it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, cause this is what, you know, really like right off the bat, it's like, when you make the statement of, you know, how do we process the the experience and the residue and how do we move forward so that it actually becomes a a a sense of wisdom right lives in our body as wisdom yep. as real knowing uh versus you know a constant a constant judgment right a constant self-judgment that's kind of perpetuated unfortunately by those who don't know that's why i yep. really wanted to bring up that that level of 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 understanding, right. Of experience. And, yeah. and I think it's incumbent upon us to create this community where, where we can have these conversations where we talk about, man, that was hard shit. Or that really, that didn't sit well. I don't care who you are. I don't That's care right. how much training you've been through. I don't care what tier one unit you operate in or have yeah. operated in, you know, there will come a moment in time where it was too much or it, you know what I mean? The factors yeah, yeah. converge at a particular moment in time and they're subtle, right? And that's what I think we miss. And that's what people that don't know miss. It wasn't the, 
it wasn't the act or the moment that necessarily was traumatic or 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 troublesome it was more than likely all the subtle factors around it it was the disconnection from home it was the you know struggle with other teammates or you know what i mean or the boss like it's just yeah. these converging factors and then i went out on an op and then this happened and nobody really will ever understand that unless you've lived it unless you've been in it we um we i grew up in a sailing family always out in the ocean and um, yeah. one of the really interesting comments that was made to me years ago by somebody and they said you know we was talking to we were talking to some old fishermen like really old fishermen been around forever i think maybe up in gloucester and one of the right. comments they made is that you know i was and i just i said as a sort of a joke i said do you ever get seasick after you've been doing this all this year and he looked and he got thoughtful and he says you know what's really interesting he said you know that that the the combination of wind waves and current creates a frequency um and the frequency every day is different and every sailor at some point in their life will meet a frequency that throws them off and they will throw mm -hmm. up and that is that's just facts and he wow. says that's that's it he says it's not that i get seasick i just know that someday i will um because of frequencies and one of the things that that you know to speak frankly to the, your listeners is this there's a bunch of people because of years and years and years of a lot of um sort of unhelpful suggestions and advice much like you were talking about before that are highly suspicious about what i'm talking about right they're mm -hmm. they got one ear in because there's some hope left in them but mostly they're like pretty cynical and yeah. so what i want to say to them is this I spent 10 years at the Wharton Leadership School supporting the, the leadership program, uh, the Wharton Business School, excuse me, it was Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania supporting um, the leadership program. And one of the things after 10 years of watching the most elite people in the world talk about leadership is that my one takeaway is this, people don't listen, they watch. Mm. And I'll say that again, it, people don't listen, they watch. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how good your Braveheart speech is. It matters what you do every day. And so what I want to say to the people that are listening to here is it doesn't matter what you read. It doesn't matter if you believe me. It doesn't matter if you like the article. It doesn't matter if you see a psychologist or you believe in them or whatever. But it does matter this, that right now there's some people that look up to you that are watching you. And are the behaviors that you are exhibiting the behaviors that you want to pass along? Are the behaviors that are getting you out of the bed in the morning and keeping you alive what's going to keep them alive and if it's not then you have to know that you're passing along a curse hmm. and it's up to you to decide whether you want to do that that's the most frank honest truth i can speak yeah we're just gonna let that sit for a minute i, I you know that's it's that's really the truth yep uh, that that's really the truth and, and what we're trying to to say to operators is don't do this stuff in service to yourself because that's not the life you chose do it in service to the people who look up to you do it in ser service to your team do it in service to your children do it in service to your family behave in a way that's sustainable so that you teach them how to be sustainable and if you don't know how ask yeah weaponize your curiosity it's the same thing you you've know, been doing yeah. all along Man, that's, you know, it's it. It's interesting. You know, now, now I get to go back and be dad, right? Again, right. after growth, after all this stuff, right? After 12 years, I get to experience being a dad again. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we committed to, and I think this goes to all of us, one of the things we committed to with, with, with little man is we were never going to tell him. And, and it was, it was curious over the first almost six months, like year to change language. We committed to never telling him he's okay. Yeah. Like never saying you're okay. Yep. Because I don't know. Right. And when I removed it from my language, what I had to put in place was a curiosity about him. Yep. yep. And his experience and what he was viewing, seeing, and processing with the tools that he had at the time. Yeah. And it has been, it's probably been one of the most profound things I've learned from him. <laughs> you know what I mean? From this little two and a half year old little nugget that runs around that brings utter joy to my life. But it causes me daily 
Cause, cause that's a, that's a daily, you know, ingrained social behavior. It's okay. It's okay. Yep. It's okay. And, and I don't know that it, maybe it right. wasn't, you know, by right. my logical adult brain, it maybe should be, but I have a lot more faculties than he does. I have a lot, you yep. know what I mean? I, there's a lot more in me and yep. maybe it's not for him. And I think we do that with each other. And, you know, I, we talked on the show, I don't know, way back, you know, our community is great at eating our own. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, famous, famous. We, yeah, we, we do it really well. Uh, and I think, you know, even in this look and in this paper, you know, I love towards the end and I want to encourage everybody so they understand kind of the, the, the process of the paper in some ways, you know, where here you go through and you ask very specific questions right throughout it. Uh, you know, as you start to get in uh, and start to get down into the actual paper where it's not just, you know, hey, this is what I've learned, but okay, you know, are you mourning your losses? You know, yep. how are you positively influencing your inner monologue, right? I mean, there's there's action to this. There is true, a sense of an ability to self-assess, to really look at what am I doing? How yep. am I processing information, right? Because that's what, that's really what this is. And that's where I think we, we collectively struggle is how do right. I process events and situations? And it doesn't have to be, it's not like, I mean, I think there's a misconception sometime and I find this in, you know, I've bracketed the audience in a way, right? You've got the one to five year guy, the five to 10 year person, the 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and then beyond. Um, and we all process things differently because we all have a different context and a different level of experience. But this is, uh, to me, a phenomenal pattern, especially at a, at a younger uh, time in my career, that to begin to process this way, not only does it benefit me from a resiliency standpoint, not does it benefit me from a personal life standpoint, but the benefit really is operationally as well, right? I mean, it's going to, it's going to create a, a chain of events that enabled me to be more present, be more aware, read the environment with a with a with a greater level of discernment, and and lead effectively as I as I manage through my career. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I just think the skill that you're talking about of being able to process your experience in real times, good, bad, or indifferent. You yeah. know, one of the things that I find really fascinating is that if. Um, you know, just knowing your background, Jeff, if I if I were to show up and hammer you with feedback, you know, negative feedback, you'd be able to absorb it all, decide what matters and what doesn't and move on. Mm -hmm. And because you're conditioned to do that. But if I showed up and spent five minutes telling you why you were awesome, it would be deeply uncomfortable for you. Deeply. <laughs> yeah. And if I ask you to spend five minutes telling one of your subordinates or peers how awesome they are, that would also be both uncomfortable for both of you. Mm -hmm. If we're going to get better at this, we've got to start figuring out a way to not only point out what's wrong, but also to point out what's right. Yes. And if we can't figure out what we're doing right and name that in a way that doesn't create anxiety, we're not going to move forward. That isn't mm -hmm. to say that we're being soft. It isn't to say we're letting people off the hook when they screw up. What it is saying is we're acknowledging, yeah, that's what wrong looks like. But more importantly, this is what right looks like. Keep doing this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and 100%. And I think that's why, you know, I've tried to build a community like you have, right. A validation yep. community. I mean, you've seen, you've seen the operation mindset stuff for years. Right. Yep. And, and I, if, before I put something out, you know, I send it out to you, I send it to Chris Johnson, I send it to, you know, all these other guys that I, and, and women that I have real respect for, because I know they get it. Uh, and hey, am I off my rocker? And, you know, you've responded sometimes and be like, well, you might want to think about, you know, or if you're trying to do, and I, and that's, but that's incumbent upon us to do that, to make sure that we're, you know, putting out a, not just quality information and not just valuable stuff, but things that are validated right by others yeah. yeah this is a big thing for me and it's a big mm -hmm. thing for the institute i'm a big stickler for this i think oh, yeah. right now there are a lot of people out there that have incredibly rich life experiences that are telling stories and i think that's really powerful and they should do that where i get concerned is that sometimes they take their personal narratives and their personal stories and then try to communicate them as if they are not small t truths but big t truths 
mm-hmm. meaning that they would work for everyone. And the truth is that is not true. Um, just because you had some extraordinary experiences and ex- some extraordinary sort of life lessons for yourself doesn't mean that those are are either useful or appropriate for everyone else. And so yeah. that's where I think we all of us have to do a better job at partnering people that have had extraordinary life experiences with academics who who understand some or, or can provide some frameworks and some understanding behind those experiences to make them mm-hmm. more um, translatable to everybody else. And mm-hmm. so um, I believe strongly in the sort of rigor of what we do and the validity of what we do, but it, it, it requires a community. Um, and we that's why we have a collaborative inquiry community of academics and operators is because we need everyone to nod their heads. And if we, we don't everyone nodding their heads, if there's researchers or, or operators saying that I don't buy it, then we have to pause, right? Because yeah. it isn't to say that it isn't true for me, but that doesn't make it true for everyone. And what we're trying to do and I know you're trying to do is provide information that's useful to everyone. And sometimes, by the way, sometimes that might just be hearing somebody telling a war story or a fire story. 100%. That's cool. Like, yeah. 100%, that's great. But let's just be clear that that's not a large T truth. That's a lar- That's a small T truth for them. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I, years ago, I asked somebody why training was designed the way training was designed. I said, I said, is it, well, you know, it's based on, on somebody's experience that will never happen again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a kind of a, you know, it was a heady conversation of challenging things uh, like yeah. I like to do on occasion, but, uh, but absolutely. So listen, as we start to wrap up, like, what are the, I don't know, you want to give me like, give me a couple key, uh, what would you want to leave everybody with? Like, what's, what's, what are kind of the takeaways? What's the summary yeah. section on this? So the first thing that I would get everybody who is who's lived a rich and exciting experience, here's some some things I want you to start practicing. And they're really simple, but really hard. First, if you're feeling any emotion, take a moment to name it. Just name it. If you're feeling joyful, say to yourself, I'm feeling joyful. If you're feeling anxious, say to yourself, I'm feeling anxious. There is something about the naming of a thing that takes it out of the mystery that allows you to then start working on it. Because as I said before, we can't fix what we can't talk about, right? And so the naming of a thing is a really important thing. The second thing I want you to do is find, give yourself permission to tell people you're proud of them. This is really hard. It's much more hard than you think for, especially for guys. Give yourself permission for the people in your life to be able to say, man, I'm really proud of you and do it in a way that doesn't sound pretentious or arrogant or whatever else, but just acknowledging that you personally are feeling really proud of the work that they're doing, right? And a way of finding ways to give compliments to each other. And then the third thing, I'm going to do four things, actually. The third thing is... um, Spend a few minutes to figure out where do you have connection and connection and belonging. Just ask yourself, where do I have connection and belonging right now? And if you if the answer is nowhere, you need to fix that today. Yes. Today, you need to fix that today. That's not a tomorrow thing. That's not you need to fix that. You need to finish this podcast and fix that. You mm-hmm. cannot go through this world alone with the experiences that you had. You've got to you've got to reach out and connect with people, even if that's difficult. And then the last thing I would say to you is this go outside. There's, Mm. there's so much science on literally, if you were to, it has to be a little bit warmer, maybe not where you are, but there's so much science that if you just take off your shoes and socks and walk out onto the grass for a few minutes and look off into the distance, what that does for you physiologically is extraordinary. Um, and it's super simple. Uh, and so I would just encourage you to think about those things, very simple things, but the goal is we all want you to be old and crotchety. That's the yes. goal. We, yes. want, we want for you to be arguing about your granddaughter's prom dress. That's yeah. the goal. Like, we want you to be sort of saying, man, kids today. That's what we want. And so whatever we can do to get you there is a win. 100%. Well, Preston, thanks for, thanks for the time, man. Thanks for everything you have done, right? Uh, and, you. you know, your level of commitment around this stuff, it's, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, I mean, it is truly, uh, it's been an honor to get to know you. 
And I know we haven't had a whole lot of time together over the last you know year or so as you've made your transition and, and been building uh, the Mission Critical Team Institute. I know you've been you know head down and doing that. I'm glad that we've had this chance to reconnect. Uh, I I just I've I've always appreciated you, and I will express it that I really do appreciate you and the work that you do. It is Thank extremely you. valuable. So. Yeah. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, the paper will be up and available uh, on MindsetRadio.com. I'll make sure all of the links to Preston and uh, the Mission Critical Team Institute is available for you. Uh, please, please, please download the paper, read it, discuss it with your crews, your people, uh, read it on your own. It's probably one of the most highly valuable things I've seen out in a long time. So again, and also, thank please oh, contribute. Ahead. Please contribute to the survey at the end. Um, yep. it, the results are live. You can see as people are are responding, and this is mm. meant to be the beginning of a conversation, not the end of one. Yes. And so we're starting to see operators talk about the kinds of things that help them build strengths. Um, and so please uh, contribute. Yes, absolutely. And I'll make sure that all of that's available, right? That it links right through, um, and we'll get this puppy rock and roll because this is an important conversation. I love that. And that's how this goes. There's no, there's no, there's no way this works. It's just a con it's a continuing conversation that we all grow from. So that's right. Absolutely. Thanks for joining Preston. Thank you, sir. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening. Today's show was brought to you in part by the primed mind app. You know, I've gotten to know Elliot Rowe over some time now and using his app has been a huge game changer for me. It brings together a perfect set of guided meditations that really keep you in the game. Whether it's sleep, performance, workouts, resiliency, or making those critical transitions between home and work, the Prime Mind app is my go-to source for putting me in the mental and emotional condition necessary to deal with whatever comes my way. Check it out at mindsetradio.com backslash primed mind. That's P-R-I-M-E-D-M-I-N-D. Download it and check out what Elliot has to offer. Remember, this podcast is only available through your continued support through donations to the Operational Mindset Foundation at opmindset.org and through your engagement with our sponsors. So stop by mindsetradio.com for all the show notes from today's episode and show some love to all of our sponsors by visiting mindset.com backslash sponsors. As always, feel free to drop me a note with your thoughts about today's episode or join us on Facebook in the Mindset Radio Facebook group. You could follow us on Instagram at Mindset Radio or over at Twitter at Mindset underscore radio. That's Mindset underscore radio over on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and I'm looking forward to next time. Until then, stay safe and stay operational, my friends. <laughs>